Hey, good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. So grateful for all of you joining us online, for all of you joining us here in the worship center today. And I have someone joining me for the message today, and I'm super, super excited about this. This person was born near Houston, Texas in 1957. She was raised by two God-fearing, church-going people. Her parents, especially her dad, my grandfather, was a man of compassion and justice. He regularly picked up hitchhikers, tended to the needy, and advocated for those on the margins. When schools integrated, this woman, my mom, though a child at the time, was front in line. Her parents were adamant that their children would be a part of growing a better tomorrow, not prolonging the problems of yesterday. She graduated high school in May of 1975 and began her freshman year at Abilene Christian College, ACC at the time, not ACU, that fall. And one evening she went to a concert and the lead singer in that band was Ronnie Dunn from Brooks and Dunn. Yeah, he went to ACC for one semester, all right? The drummer in that band was a man named Rick Ross. My dad, not the rapper. They met, they dated, a year later they got married. In 1975, they had their first child, a daughter. They named her Jennifer, we called her Jenny. 31 years later, as many of you know, in 2010, they buried that daughter. In 1980, they had me. And we don't have to go into it today, it was probably the greatest day of their lives, arguably, like, filled them with joy, I think we, we know that, all right? And I'm reminded every September The 1980 is still on record as one of the hottest summers in recorded history. And I think every year I get older, that summer gets hotter and hotter. (laughs) Three years later, after I was born, my brother was born, but who cares? He's just a younger brother. Uh, We love him. He's great. When my, my brother went to kindergarten, my mom went back to finish her degree in childhood education, where for a few years she taught first grade and kindergarten. And in her mid-late 30s, a new passion arose in her life for counseling. So after receiving her master's degree, she became a well-respected, successful, sought-after marriage counselor. Years later, I would find out that her first few years of marriage counseling, she worked with a lot of professional athletes and never told me any of them. Which I know there are laws to protect, like client, you know, therapist privilege, but if you're in the family, like you should let them know a few of those things, but she never did. At that time in her life, the Lord grew her platform to minister to women. She taught classes in her church, traveled to retreats, spoke at conferences. I've always said that my dad, who is here today, taught me to love the Bible, and my mom taught me to pray. And both of them didn't just teach me, they modeled in their lives what it means to love Jesus. In 2008, she launched her own counseling center, Wise County Christian Counseling, and it was a risk at the time, but she was ready. In 2010, she hired her first full-time employee. And days later, my sister got sick, went into the hospital, and died. Yet God's favor rested on that counseling center in Decatur, Texas. It grew, and through death, God brings life. Though God did not orchestrate my sister's death so a grief center could be born, God can use moments of brokenness to bring incredible life, life that gives others life. Wise County Christian Counseling and Jenny's Hope, which is the Grief Center, now serves thousands of people every year, where my mom and her team are called in the sacred spaces. 
When there was the shooting at the church in Fort Worth a few years ago, by that afternoon, my mom and her team were on site doing grief work. In their county, when there are uh, tragedies, shootings, uh, uh, when there are suicides, when first responders die in the line of duty, my mom and her team are called into those places to do work. In 2018, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Five radiation treatments later, she was clear, and not once did she lose joy. Uh, that after she was diagnosed with cancer in 2018, we decided to write a book together, which was released in September of 2020. And it is a book that it, it has sold a few thousand copies, mainly due to being picked up by grief groups and widow groups and church leaderships around the nation who use that to help train people, equip people, help people work through grief. When the book was released in September of 2020, that same week, my mom found out that the cancer had returned. And over the next year, she'd endure seven surgeries, four chemo treatments, I believe 31 radiation treatments, and then she rang the bell, and we celebrated. And throughout that journey, she did not lose her joy. Can I just see a show of hands for my cancer, for cancer survivors in the room today? Just a show of hands. A couple of months ago, uh, my mom went to have uh, scans, and it showed new spots, and the cancer has returned again. It's a good prognosis, but they do call it non-terminal stage four, which will be with her for the rest of her life. And we're grateful for, we serve a God who is a God of medicine and a God of science. And the chemo pills that she now takes monthly, I guess regularly, that has, we're grateful that she got, a, got that down from being a very high mortgage payment to a very high car payment. <laughs> Thank you to insurance and some help. I was in my, my parents were visiting uh, in Memphis when my mother opened up her uh, patient portal and found out the cancer had returned. And I was just a fly on the wall in the moment. My dad was out in the flower bed, because that's what we do for my dad when he comes to town. We just put him to work. He's out there you know, working in a flower bed. And I went and got him, and he came in. And I got to witness a moment when a husband and a wife see positive and how they minister to each other in the moment. There was loyalty and covenant and a commitment in that space as they held hands and prayed that they will declare every day of their lives that they will live with peace and joy. A few times each year, I get a call from churches in Texas who are looking for preachers, and I'm a preacher, and they call, and some of them who have done their homework will say things like this. Hey, we're looking for a preacher, and we have your name, and just wonder if you would talk to us. And we just want you to know you're two hours and 17 minutes from where your parents live. Like some of them, like, they, like you're this many miles from them. And I know now, true, that I have a 16-year-old in my house, and now we've been here most of, of his life. He was one when we crossed the bridge and made Memphis our home. And I know my parents would love to have kids, really to have grandkids who are closer to them. But my parents also know that right now they're in the space of my church family. You're our people. This is our city. And this is where Casey and I love raising our kids. 
And we also are so grateful to be a part of a church that is so gracious and generous that when my parents need us, or just to cultivate a relationship between grandparents and parents and grandkids, uh, we can be with them. When you're in a family full of preachers, rarely do you get Sundays together. So this is the first Mother's Day in 23 years that my mom and I are in the same space together. I didn't plan it this way. I asked, gave my mom three Sundays that I would like for her to come and join me for this sermon series, and this is the one that worked out. So, mom, happy Mother's Day, and I'm glad you're here with us. So, Sycamore, will you, will you give my mom a warm welcome as she comes and joins me on the stage this morning? How was that for an introduction? Whoa. <laughs> I have mom. a Kleenex in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Mom, uh, let me have you do one thing before we kind of jump into some content today, because I'm assuming uh, you have never been on a stage in front of a crowd in a worship center on a Sunday morning, especially on Mother's Day. And I know you work with a lot of women and moms and you do a lot of grief work. So would love for you to take an opportunity. And this is so broad, but what is a word of blessing you would like to speak over people on this day? Thank you for giving me this opportunity. And let me just say, I'm humbled and I'm so honored to be with you. There's nowhere I'd rather be this morning to be with Josh and Casey and the boys, but to be with you is so special for me. You've ministered to me across the miles. Some of you knew me already and some of you didn't. And the giftings you've given to me have just been so powerful. And your text messages of prayer have been so powerful. And what mother would not be blessed by this? Um, so grateful. Thank you for your sweet words. Had a one, one year wrong that I think is important to point out. I graduated high school in 75, but you said I birthed Jenny in 75 too. I did not. I was a very young mother, but I birthed Jenny in 78. I just want to make sure that you know that. I don't know why that's important to me. I just need to say that. So anyway, blessing over Mother's Day. I don't believe that there is a role I've enjoyed more than being a mother. So for those of you in this room that are mothers and in a celebratory mood today, I offer blessing to you. I know that the Lord has things in store for you, and I want to encourage you to use this day to catch your breath, and may you feel appreciated today. May somebody let you know how grateful they are for your ability to mother. And may you continue to love and to form your children on the path of Jesus. And may your home be filled with peace and joy. But as Josh already said, in 2010, I knew the silence of one call not coming. All the children were in ministry at that time, so that's what we did on Mother's Day. I got phone calls. And in 2010, I only got two. And that third call not coming after Jenny died was just deafening. So for those of you in the room that are in sorrow today, for whatever reason, maybe through death, maybe through estrangement with your own mom or adult children, or maybe an empty womb, your dream did not come true of having children. I want you to know we see you and we hear you. 
And I love what, what Josh said earlier, Josh Nix, I think it was him, said something about that we mothered together in a church. And I think that's so powerful, but I wanna speak this over you too. May your home too continually be filled with peace and joy, even as you walk hard, even as you walk in sorrow, don't miss the gifting of the Lord that hold hands with pain and grief. But may your homes too be filled with joy and peace. So happy Mother's Day to all of you women in the room. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. So we're in a sermon series right now called Squad, Why We Need Each Other. This is going to be about a six-week series, and it's based in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And in Acts 2, 42 through 47, this is right after 3,000 people, a few thousand people were baptized on the day of Pentecost. But Acts chapter 2 ends not just by arguing why people need to get saved or be saved, but what do saved people do? So when I knew we were doing a, a series on the power of connection, because we live in a time right now, not just as a church, but in a culture where we struggle with connection. There's so many things that are causing disconnection, and we can name all of them. And I knew in this series, my mom has given so much of her life to helping people connect. And a lot of times, it's not that you're being proactive. I know you do this some. It's not that you're proactive in trying to help generate connection. It's you're getting people when there's disconnection. So you're trying to piece things back together. And in a lot of ways, when we show up on a Sunday, that's, that's what we're doing. Like, there's so many things that are disconnected. Can we help sell each other believing that we are in desperate need of connection? So I knew I wanted you to come and share with our people today about the power of connection and disconnection. It just happens to be on Mother's Day. Next Sunday, I want to talk about the power of evangelism in Acts chapter 2 because when the church was connected and devoted the way God wanted them to, the Lord added to their church. The Lord added to his church. Uh, so the way Acts chapter 2 works is devotion in the church Living out unity in Christ became a witness to the world of the love of God. It's still true today. Here in a few weeks on Memorial Day Sunday, I will be out of town. Casey and I are going to take our first and probably our only vacation of 2023 to celebrate our wedding anniversary. I have a friend who's going to come and talk about the power of worship. That first Sunday in June, I want to talk about uh, in Acts chapter 2, you get this beautiful image of connection. But throughout the rest of Acts, especially the more diverse the church becomes, the more connection became difficult. So we're just going to talk more here in a few weeks about the power of really disconnection and why we need connection. But today, Mom, I'm just going to hand it over to you for, to, for a few minutes. I'm going to grab a stool. I'm going to sit right here. And I may do what I've done most of my life is interrupt you at some point. Okay. I will try not to, but I want you to share with That's our church today just the power of connection, disconnection, some of the wisdom you have to share, and, and I know we'll join each other again here in a few minutes, all right? That would be great. Thank you. Thank you. You know, before I even start with this, Kip, I want to thank you for the songs this morning. They so blessed my heart, and praise team, thank you so much. I just, I felt so, when we're talking about connection for those songs, I felt so connected with him with the Lord through those. So thank you for guiding us there. And that is what happened in Genesis, isn't it? Creation, the beginning of Genesis, we were wired, Adam and Eve were wired to connect with the Lord and to seek his face. But they were also hardwired to connect with each other. So much so there's even a hormone called oxytocin. And oxytocin is known in the therapeutic world as our attachment hormone. We have it when we have good conversations, when in marriage there's intimacy, 
Childbirth typically floods a woman's body. With oxytocin, it's when we attach, when we feel good, safe, solid connection. There is nothing while our feet walk on dirt that is more peaceful for us than when we're connected to another or another's, when we're connected, when we enjoy sweet relationship. But also in Genesis, it's like, who knows how long, but it felt like we go straight from the creation story to the story where the power of darkness rears his head. And at that moment where sin was birthed, there was another birth that happened then that we still struggle with, and that is the birth of fear. And what fear has done is create for us atmosphere of disconnection. Fear. If I were doing a marriage conference today, and I'm not, we would talk a lot about fear in the marital relationship. My favorite marriage book is How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It. Great book, on, and I won't go into great detail with this. I'm saying that to myself, not to you. Don't go into detail, don't go into detail with this. But in the book, it outlines that for men, the number one fear is thinking you might think they are inadequate or that they are a failure. Men struggle with being seen as all that, as the one, as good enough. Women have another fear that we have, again, from birth until death, just like the male fear. It doesn't mean we can't speak into it, doesn't mean we can't get better about it, it just means we have a heightened propensity for it. Females have another fear, and it's the fear of isolation. Little girls on a playground will say things like, I'm not going to be your friend. It's always said with a lot of head swag. Unless you, da 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 I'm not going to be your best friend unless you, da 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 I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party. And even if the birthday party were last week, little girls will do anything to get invited to next year's birthday party. They may not be able to come, but they just want to be invited. On a first grade playground, little boys say things like, bet you can't. Sam's faster than you. And even if Sam had won every race all year long, I've never heard a little boy go, you're right, Sam's faster. Because those are fighting words in the male world. And so you put those two in a marriage relationship. And we got struggles, but those aren't the only fears we have. As we begin as children to have relationships with people, there's some fears that pop up for us. Things we learn to silence, things we learn to calm. Connection is the number one calmer of all fears. Even if a husband and wife, even if two friends can't solve the problem, to sit with each other and say, you know what, I hear you, I disagree, I hear you, but I'm not walking away from you. We're still gonna be friends. I heard this the other day, that just because somebody calls you their enemy does not mean you have to be theirs. We want to keep, as far as we go, as Jesus followers, as Jesus disciples, I love the prayer earlier, followers, we want to keep open heart for connection. And so this morning, I've got four things I want to share with you about the power of connection. Four things, because I think it's so powerful. I was in Memphis with Casey at a Bible study, a downline Bible study. I remember where we were. But there was a speaker that night who had never been married. She was single. I knew the verse she quoted that night. I don't know if I know it in song. I don't know if I ever sang it, but I know this verse, and you do too. But I heard the speaker say it with such conviction that it really did change the emphasis of my life. 
She was in her early 40s, and she said, when I was about 20-ish, I was engaged to a man. We were both in ministry. We both wanted to be in ministry until the day he told me he wanted to walk away from Jesus. He had decided he wanted another path. And she said, so I broke up with him because I believed the Lord would give me another man. But she said he never has. And so listen to this verse that this woman quoted. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But then Jesus said, I have come that you may have life in abundance. And then the speaker said, could it be that he meant life in abundance even if? Could it be that he meant life in abundance even when? Even when bad things happen, even when it's hard to walk on dirt, even when we feel so afraid, can peace and joy and connection, those giftings of the Holy Spirit, can those be ours to be enjoyed? Now, this season of my life, I don't know if it's age and I don't know if it's cancer and maybe it's both, I've learned you have to fight for those things. And what I mean by that is they are not natural. You are not going to wake up one morning and go, oh, wow, I'm feeling joy today. But you've got to learn to center your life around those things and get rid of the things that don't. Get rid of those disconnecting behaviors. Figure out for you, what is it that brings you joy? When is the Spirit's flood of joy most manifested in your life? When can you breathe in peace the best? And when can you connect? How can you connect? What are some disciplines that we need that that connect? Connection, I have found, is not in the big, sweeping, grandiose things. It's in small things. It's in the smallest of things. The first of the four things I want to share with you is attention, eye contact. You're going to connect with people when you stop a minute and you look at each other. When you stop a minute, I remember the day I was in Walmart. We were all wearing masks in 2020. Walmart shelves were empty. And I walked by an employee and I went into that store praying in advance, God, give me kind eyes. Because nobody's eyes were very kind in that, including my own. Give me kind eyes. And I was passing her and I just said, thank you for what you do. And she stopped and she said, are you talking to me? And I said, I am. She said, what did you say? And I said, I said, thank you for what you do. And she ripped that mask off and she said, did you say thank you? Are you being serious? I'm being serious. I have not heard that for three months. I don't even know what I'm going to do with that. She put her mask back on. Thank you. (laughs) Just for eye contact. I don't know. I'm going to say several things this morning. I hope you remember. But this is maybe the one I I maybe, maybe want you to remember the most. This is the one I taught at public schools when, right before school started this year, and I think it's so true. Listen to this, friends. Somebody needs somebody whose eyes light up when you see them. Everybody needs somebody whose eyes light up when you see them. You know that thing that says, I'm so glad you're here. And you don't even have to know each other. I was standing out there. I didn't mean to be a greeter. I was standing out there sort of greeting people before church started. But watching your greeters, their eyes were so lit up as you walked in. We're glad you're here. 
We see you. Happy Mother's Day. Watching the little children respond to them. Eye contact, attention, seeing people. Would you agree with me? Now, right now, I guess I'm talking about this from a marriage perspective. I'm talking from a family perspective. But I also want to add a church perspective. Because wouldn't you agree with me that church should be the safest place on earth? Would you agree with me that this church today should be the safest place on earth? That means we got to see people. You don't want anybody to leave those doors that didn't get some hellos, some thank yous, some eye contact, some it's good to see yous, some we don't know you. Everybody needs somebody. The Lord wants to use you, your eyes, to see somebody that they know they're seen and connection can be birthed. Number two is we show value. I had a client this week as she was leaving my office. I said, now, now you're my client. You're on my prayer list. She turned back around and she looked at me and she said, are you kidding? I said, I'm not kidding. She said, in my opinion, that's the biggest lie we ever tell in church. I'm praying for you. I said, what does that mean? She said, I have people tell me all the time they're going to pray for me, but then they never follow up. How can you be praying for somebody if you don't say, hey, how'd that doctor appointment go? Or how's this going? If somebody opens their heart to you and shares something with you, follow up. Show value. Show value to them. Husbands, remember. Wives, remember when there's going to be a hard thing that, that your partner has shared. Parents, remember when your children share something that's bugging them and we ask. Third, I put eat together. What I really mean by that is share time together, but eating together is my very favorite way to share time together. I read in a book this last week that it's hard to hate somebody up close. And I think that's really true. We're living in an age, I think y'all are in Memphis too, I know we are, where it's us and them. Lots of us's and them's. And in church, that should not be so. Is it okay if I say, for the followers of Jesus, that should not be so? We're into us's. Because at the base of the cross, yes, at the base of the cross, we are all more sane than we are different. All of us. More sane than we are different. And we want to walk beside people with our arms beside people. Eat together. Eat together. Hearing stories. Stories that may be very, very different from yours, but through eye contact and through curiosity, there's connection birthed. If it's not like an experience I've ever had, I want to say, tell me more about that. Sometimes I have clients ask me, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm, I don't, but I want to. Keep talking to me. Keep filling me in the gaps until we can get to an emotion that I go, oh, no, that I get. I hear that. Talk to me more about that. There is something powerful in shared stories. Shared stories. Curiosity. The fourth one, I have my notes typed up. The fourth one I didn't type because I wasn't sure if I was going to tell you this one or not, and it's the number one way. But I wrestled with it, and I wrestled with it, and I thought, it's so hard to do. Do I really want to say this with a group of people I don't live close to that I'm going to say and walk away? But I am going to say, I have to. I have to. 
So I wrote it in there a couple of days ago. Number four is to practice vulnerability. Vulnerability requires bravery. My definition of brave is the spirit at work in me. Vulnerability is going to be fearful. You're going to be afraid of it. That's how you know it's vulnerable. But I believe definition of bravery is doing something I'm scared of. I don't think it's brave if I wasn't scared of it. I think it's really brave when I do things that I'm afraid of, but I go ahead and do them anyway. And so it might be to say I love you to a friend, to say I love you again to your partner after an argument, to tell somebody that you need to talk to them because maybe there's damage we need to clean up and we need to get into the practice of forgiveness. Now you'll notice I use the word practice a lot and I think it's one thing to throw out I love you, I think it's a whole nother thing to practice love towards someone. I think it's another thing when I say I want to connect with you, but it, it's another le level when we say I want to practice connection with you. I want to enter into the, to the verbs of this. I want to enter into the action of doing what the Lord's called me to do. To practice vulnerability knows you're going to be afraid. Let me give you an example. We uh, went to eat one day with another preacher and his wife, Sunday lunch. And after the lunch was over, the men went to another room and the wife stayed at the table. And one of the wives pulled up a chair beside me and we were kind of sitting like this across from each other, knee to knee and eye to eye. And she was asking me about grief. This was probably uh, 18 months after Jenny died. And I looked at her and I decided at that moment I was gonna be vulnerable because I just didn't have, it was just all out there. I just didn't have any strength to cover it up that day. And I told her, I said, I feel so afraid of everything. That C.S. Lewis quote is coming true for me, where C.S. Lewis wrote after his wife died, I had no idea that grief felt so much like fear. And this woman said to me, no, you aren't. Mm -mm. You're a strong Christian woman, and strong Christian women do not act afraid. Okay. I set up. She set up. I started talking about the weather or my sons or something else going on, but the moment was done. I wonder what I missed that day of the power of vulnerability if she could have held space with mine. Am I mad at her? Not at all. Because I just don't think she had the capability that day to hold vulnerability with me, to hold space with me. That's a powerful move on her part too, to be able to sit in the uncomfort, the discomfort of somebody saying, this is really hard. I feel scared. What was she going to say back other than just listen to me? But how many times have you in your own life that you've been heard, you shared something vulnerable, maybe after a miscarriage, maybe after six miscarriages, you were going to try again and you tell a friend, that's vulnerable. That's so vulnerable. Maybe a widow, widower, the first time you even think you might go on a date again. Oh, that's vulnerable to say that out loud and to do. That's vulnerable. But to be able to tell somebody creates real connection. Now, those are pretty grandiose moves. Do I think it always has to be? I don't. I don't think they're always grandiose. I think being vulnerable just means we're willing to give somebody a peek into our heart. 
and say, it's hard doing this, I love doing this, I love you. Able to speak vulnerable thoughts as far as one of my favorite things. I have an elder's wife that sits on the same row as me and they buried a daughter, their only child. And during the Lord's Supper, it's a connection for us because one of us will look at each other during that and we will say, the tomb is empty. And the other one will speak back, the tomb is empty indeed. Or maybe we'll change it up on a Sunday and say, he is risen. And the other one says, he is risen indeed. But we do that every Sunday where now we don't even have to make noise. We just read each other's lips. That's connection. Somebody in this room needs to hear that this morning, that the tomb is empty. Now, I believe that peace and joy and connection are giftings from the Holy Spirit. Now, remember I said, we are hardwired by God for connection. And so, it's like at Christmas, or maybe Mother's Day, let's go with Christmas. Somebody gives you this beautifully wrapped gift, and it is so beautiful. I mean, they thought about the paper, it's in your kind of paper, like for me it would be gingerbread men. It'd be in my paper with this beautiful bow and ribbon on it. It's got my name written on it. But if I never open the gift, I just go, this is so gorgeous, I love it. I love it. And if I hold it for the whole year or years, but I never open the gift, it's like the gift never happened. And sometimes I think we can get confused with the Lord like that. Friends, listen to me clearly with this. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, everything in me believes that no matter what road we're walking, whether it's grief, whether it's cancer, someone else's, broken relationships, whatever is happening in our lives. The Lord gives us the gift of joy, the gift of peace, and the gift of connection. We've just got to get brave enough to open the gifts and walk with them anyway. Jesus wants to give us those things. And he wants you to help somebody else open their packages too. What you got? <laughs> Hey. <laughs> and I and I never interrupted. How about you that? Did not. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. I'm proud of you. Uh, and Mom, we uh, our worship service is built to a place around the table, and I think you said it perfectly just a moment ago. I mean, the, the, the communion is a place of ultimate connection. Yes. This is a place that reminds us we are not alone. And in this church right now, we're in a, in a season where we are walking two tables and walking from tables. And part of this is a reminder, we walk together. Nobody walks alone. And I know there were a number of guests who came in today. Some of you have your moms and dads with you from out of town. And uh, what a beautiful moment to take communion. I know for us, we rarely get a shared bread and cup together because we're never together on Sundays. So this is a special moment for us. If there is a step that anybody in this space needs to make to Jesus today, one of our shepherds, Lance Hawley, is going to be up front to receive you. Tommy Collier, one of our shepherds, will be in the back. My wife, Casey, will be over here to my left. Lever niece will be over here to my right, and I'll be up front over here to the left to receive you. And if you're a guest here in the next few moments, uh, my mom's going to pray over the bread and the cup for us. And then you are welcome. You'll see people moving to the six tables in the room. And move at your own pace when you want to go receive the bread and the cup. Go and receive it. And we give God thanks that in and through Jesus, he has provided connection for us. 
there's no emotion that this table cannot hold. That's right. And may God use this as a healing agent in your life to let you know God tells you you're not alone. And we hope that we live out faith in this church in a way that we declare to each other, you're not alone. We're in this together. So, Mom, will you pray for the bread and the cup? And then uh, when her prayer comes to an end, you are welcome to find someone for prayer or to make your way to a table for the bread and the cup. Absolutely. I want to start with a verse as a prayer over us. And this was Jenny's life verse, and now it's mine. It's Romans 15, 13, and it says this, May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace. Oh, Father, yes, as we trust in you so that we may absolutely overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that through the way you lived and yes, through the way you died and as we sang about and so believe, especially the way you rose, that we are a people that can walk in hope and joy and peace and we can do things that make us feel afraid because you showed us how to do that through your death, through your willingness to be buried, not for long, and through your resurrection. May we remember you and may we remember those things as right now we take the body and the blood and as we ingest these things, may they absolutely become part of our very fiber. All the things you want to give to us, Father, may we open your gifts well through the name of Jesus and through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit and all who, all who agree say, amen, amen, amen. Thank you.